Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 20. There's where, that's where we are today as we continue our series, Tweets from King David. If David had Twitter, what would he tweet? In Psalm 20, verse 7 is our focus verse today. Here's the key concept. Use what God provides, but trust in the provider. Use what God provides, but trust in the provider. While you're finding Psalm 20, I have in my hand a coin, and on the coin, of course, of course, are the familiar words, in God we trust. In other words, every time an American spends money, we are being reminded by the very money that we spend, do not trust in this provision. Trust in the one who is the great provider. Do not trust in how much of this you have but trust in the God who has you. That's the lesson from every bit of coin or bills that we, that we spend. But you have to wonder if that's a lesson that we as a people have really taken to heart, not only as a nation, but as individuals in our daily experience, day in and day out. What do we really trust to get us through. That's the issue of the focus verse uh, for us today. When the rubber hits the road, where does our trust go? Here's King David's tweet. Verse 7 of Psalm chapter 20 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, we're not aware of the specific situation that caused David to pen these words. Some of the Psalms give us those situations, but this one is open-ended. But as scholars analyze the flow of the Psalm, it is clear that Psalm 20 is one of those Psalms that was intended to be used as a part of the worship experience of the people of God, particularly in a moment when there is warfare on the horizon. As you consider the entire psalm as it unfolds, it's written for use in a worship service, and it's focused on praying for the king as a battle draws near. So given that circumstance, it most likely comes from the early years of David's reign when he was in almost constant battle with the nations uh, around him. And the focus verse, verse 7 for us today, reminds us where we need to place our ultimate trust. Place your ultimate trust in God who provides you the means that you will use to face the issues of life. Don't place your ultimate trust in those means themselves. Now, later Bible authors pick up that theme and they apply it in the exact same sense that David writes about it here. Isaiah picks up the theme in chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen. Solomon picks up that same theme in Proverbs chapter 21. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. You could say that this idea of trusting the provider, not the provision, went viral from David's pen and other biblical authors pick it up. But here in Psalm 20, 
It's important that we see what David is doing as he approaches a time of battle in his life. When we look at the structure of the psalm, we notice that Psalm 20 is one of those psalms that speaks with multiple voices. As a matter of fact, the first five verses of Psalm 20 speak in the voice of the congregation as they gather in worship. We know that because of the we in verse 5. You can imagine a worship service with some liturgical elements involved. Sometimes the congregation will be singing or speaking. Sometimes the, the king will be singing or speaking and also the priest and the very first voice we hear in Psalm 20 is the voice of the people praying a prayer of blessing for the king. They have specific prayer requests that they pray for the king, and they each of them start with the word may. So let's start our reading back up in verse 1, and we hear the prayer requests that the people have for the king. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all of your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. The congregation in this uh, worship service, praying for victory for the king, speaks those words or maybe even sings those words to the king. But what I want you to notice, what is very intriguing, is that David has actually penned those words in advance. David is the author of this psalm, which will be used in worship and, and, and used in a worship service that's preparing for a battle. And so, in fact, what David is doing when he's writing Psalm 20 is he's telling people, these are the prayer requests that I have for, so that you may pray, pray for me. This is what I want you to keep in mind in prayer. A battle is on the way. Trouble is coming. He asks them to pray for victory, pray for power, pray for protection, pray for help, that God's blessing would rest on the king and the armies of Israel. David pens all of these words and then asks the congregation to speak these words as a blessing for him. So let me ask you, what do you wish that people would be praying for, for you? What do you wish that people would be praying for, for your family, for the situations that you face, that you know are on the horizon of your life? Are you asking people to pray for those things? In fact, privately, even when you are alone, are you bathing those things in prayer or are you powering through life, never asking anyone to partner with you in prayer and never praying yourself for the needs that are right before you? I want you to see how King David said to the congregation, this is what I need from you in prayer. He realized what we must know, that we are not designed to face the battles of life on our own. We are not strong enough, we are not smart enough, we are not faithful enough, we are not wise enough, and God has always known that about us. And this is why He brings us into a family of faith. This is why He, he gives us one another. 
so that we may share with and for one another the ministry of prayer. So the question is raised as we see the dynamics of this psalm. If King David could see that he needed prayer as he faced the struggles of life, and if it would bring him to go so far as to write out his heartfelt need for prayer in this poetic form and then call the people together to pray these prayer requests he has for himself, what is keeping us from asking for prayer from one another? Why is it that we don't fill out more prayer cards? Why is it when we fill out the prayer cards, we don't sign our names so that the people who pray for those needs can not only pray for that need, but recognize I can follow up with this individual if I know them and talk to them about it and support them in it? Why do we walk out of the church never asking for prayer from the prayer counselors that are waiting to pray with us and for us? Why are not more people involved in prayer groups? like the 6 a.m. Wednesday prayer group for men that I'm a part of in the chapel? Why do we remain silent regarding our needs in our rooted groups when prayer requests are are asked for, in in our sermon-based Bible studies, or in our classes on Sunday mornings? In fact, why is it that it is so easy for us to simply choose to power through the problems we face individually rather than even pause to pray for ourselves and asking God to help us. And one of the reasons is, I think, is because we don't like to be seen as needy people. We don't like to be the one who has the need. We, we seek sometimes to perpetuate a falsehood that says, you know, I have everything in hand. I have everything together. I can't think of anything that I particularly need or or afraid of, Uh, but I'm I'm certainly here to pray for others, but I'm not going to mention my hurt, my heart, my fear of what I face tomorrow. I think that's true of us. And here's how the Apostle Peter links our pride with our prayers. He says in chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Humble yourself and cast your cares. These two things go together. And this is exactly what we see King David doing as he writes this psalm and then asks the congregation to gather and to pray this liturgy of worship for him. David is saying, listen, I'm not able to win this battle unless the Lord is on my side. I'm not able to be victorious unless God is active in helping me. Pray that He sends me help from His sanctuary. Pray for me. And so the congregation prays for the king. And then a new voice shows up in the psalm. It's a singular voice. And that singular voice speaks an announcement of assurance. Look at verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He answers Him from His holy heaven with the saving power of His right hand. Here the voice changes from the plural to the singular. It's no longer we, but it is I. And this is the response of the king to the congregation. 
in the service, he speaks these words of assurance. Since you are praying for me, I have assurance that God has heard these prayers. I have assurance that he'll, he will respond to these prayers. In other words, David expresses his faith that God will hear prayers and respond. Faith is added to the mix. As we pray, we must pray in faith. James speaks to the importance of faith in regards to our prayers. As he invites us to ask for wisdom from God, speaking of the praying person in James 1 verse 6, he says this, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This does not mean that if we believe hard enough, somehow we can get God to do something for us that was not His plan. Neither does this mean that if we just believe hard enough, we can bend God's will into our will simply by backing Him into a spiritual corner when we claim something by faith, even though God has not willed it for you. That's not what James is saying. He's saying, be aware you can get in the way of your own answers to prayer by not being stable, by not being steady in your faith. God is listening and will respond in love, but when we're up and down like the waves of the sea, we undermine our own cause and hinder our own prayers. David doesn't want that. So he takes the opportunity right in the midst of the service. The people have prayed for him, and now he expresses his faith his full confidence, his hope. I have assurance of things hoped for, he says, because I know that the people are praying for me. And that gives me that power behind me. You see, being prayed for is a powerful thing. And knowing that you're being prayed for gives you hope. I once met a missionary, one of our North American Baptist missionaries. At a, I was at a North American Baptist uh, conference event uh, this missionary was a missionary that our church supported, but I had never met this person in person. So uh, it was, we went to the lobby. We were taking a break. We went to the lobby of this place where we were meeting, and I saw him in the distance, and I wanted to introduce myself. And without skipping a beat, he says, yes, Pastor Mark, nice to meet you. I have been praying for you. And it turns out that his prayer practice was to pray every day for the pastors of the churches that support him on the mission field. We had never met. I didn't know the man personally at all. But I was so blessed and encouraged to realize that this man who I'd never really met had me on a daily prayer list, and he prayed for me that God would bless and God would move in our ministry together as a church. And I know that many of you do that as well. It, it just blesses me to know that many of you have me on your daily prayer list. It is a source of hope and confidence. You see, it is a powerful thing to be prayed for. As a matter of fact, I was working on this message uh, on a Wednesday after I had just come from our Wednesday morning men's prayer group. And I recalled as I was writing these very words that there was a, a, a guy missing from our prayer group that morning because he was ill. And so I stopped working on the message and I shot a, a quick email to him and said, hey, just want you to know this morning we were praying for you. We just trust God's going to touch you with healing and, and, and help and we're, we're remembering you in prayer. And he got back to me within just a few moments with a heartfelt thanks 
It is powerful to be prayed for. It is a blessing to be prayed for. And so I would say this, don't deny yourself that blessing by not asking for prayer or being part of a praying group where people will be aware of your needs and lift them to your Savior. David says, because I hear you praying for me, that gives me assurance and hope, and I will apply that. I'll move out into this battle in faith. But there's a third section of the, of the uh, psalm where the voice changes once again, and there's a declaration of trust. And this is our focus verse. It says this, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. You can see how the voice changes once again back to the congregation. We trust in the name of the Lord. Answer us as we call. The voice of the congregation has picked up the assurance of the king, and we, they realize that whatever ultimately happens to the king will happen to the people. If he, he is victorious, they will experience victory. If he is defeated in battle, they will experience disaster. And so they urge the Lord in prayer, bless the king. It reminds us how important it is to pray for our leaders. Even if you didn't vote for them, pray for your leaders. Even if you're not in agreement with their policies, Pray for your leaders. Why? Because we want to intercede that God would be their leader and His wisdom would guide their choices and decisions. So the prayer here reminds us that the armies and the king are using weapons that are provided by God, but ultimately the victory comes from God. The power of the weapons and the skill of the warriors will be limited. But there is a king above the king. There is a God who oversees every battle, and He is the one in whom we ultimately trust. And so why do we need to be reminded of this which seems so obvious? Because Satan is constantly putting before us the alternatives to trusting in God ultimately. The alternatives are obvious right here. The alternative is trusting in power or trusting in weaponry. The struggle is ahead. Human thinking says we have to arm ourselves to the teeth so that we can be victorious. We have to have enough weapons. We have to have overwhelming force. And when we have that, then we are assured victory. But that is a false trust, trust in the God who provides those things. It's tempting to trust in wealth. If I just amass enough money, I can buy my way out of trouble. I can face the battles of life with confidence that I have the resources to take care of whatever comes my way. That attitude has been present in every century. Way back in the first century, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Wealth is a means. Wealth is a tool. It is the way that the righteous wealthy can be rich in good deeds, but it is not a safe harbor for your ultimate hope. Hope in God. A third false trust is when we trust in ourselves. Moses, as he prepares the people to go into the promised land, had great insight into what they might think and they might feel. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, 
Praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. The point is that even though we may have talents, we may have abilities, we may be able to use those abilities to provide, it is the Lord who provides us with those abilities, those opportunities. The Lord is our supplier. The the poem Invictus, you might have heard it, by William Ernest Henley, captures the worldly idea that the Bible warns us against. The famous lines from that poem are these, it matters not How straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That is the attitude that is celebrated in the world. But Moses and David and Jesus would warn you against it. Now, is it wrong to use the means that God has provided? No. David is not saying that he's going to go out and face this battle without weapons. David did not pray this prayer of trust and then decide, well, I'm going to run onto the battlefield without weapons and totally naked and unarmed because guess what? God is on my side. No, God does not desire us to be fools or to disregard the real means He gives us. Use the means, but trust the one who provides the means. And this is pertinent for our church. For there are new means and new technologies and new ideas. We should not despise those means, but bathe it all in prayer so that the one who works through those means would propel us to ever in an increasing way win and build passionate lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. This is pertinent for your family, for your health, for your finances, for your job or your job search, for your education. There's all sorts of means and methods out there. God provides medicines. He provides training and skill development, doctors and counselors, financial advisors. They are all means. Use them, but entrust your life to God. Never let go of the fact that behind them all is the great provider, and He will never leave you or forsake you. There is a king on high who is eternal. His position is secure. His power is unquestioned. Ultimately, he is alone what we depend on. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Would you bow with me for prayer? And silently Would you picture the battle that you're facing? The struggle that is just ahead? And pray right now for God's help in that struggle. Just silently lift it to Him. And after having prayed, Let me encourage you and urge you to ask for prayer regarding that issue from somebody else this next week. There will be blessing there. Lord, help us to truly see prayer as a ministry, to recognize that we change and affect people's lives as we are faithful in prayer. Remind us 
of our weakness. Remind us of your strength. Lord, we pray that we would recall the blessing, the provision that comes from your hand as the means and the method, but the power is yours. We rejoice in that truth. We pray for one another. We pray for ourselves. We ask your perfect will would be done. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.